Welcome to CYC Podcast Discussions on Child and Youth Care, episode number 145. I'm Wolfgang Vachon. Today we're doing something a little bit different. I'm in a crowded room with five guests, uh, Tanitia Monroe, Carlene Williams-Clark, Dr. Lance McCready, Elise Youssef, and Canari Bronco. We're here to talk today about a recent research project that they were all part of in different roles called Understanding Non-Financial Barriers to Black Queer Youth Transitioning from High School to College. Welcome, everybody. Thank Hello. Thank you. That was a lot of people. Eh? It's exciting. Uh, let's start with you, Lance. Um, can you give us a, a 30 second introduction of yourself and your role in the project, and then a, a bit of an overview about this project and how it came about? Okay. So, my name is Dr. Lance McCready. I'm an associate professor here at University of Toronto, where we're um, creating this podcast. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Leadership, Higher and Adult Education, and most of my work is affiliated with the Adult Education and Community Development Program. So I've had a longstanding interest in the experiences of queer youth of color I started really as a youth worker in New York City, although we didn't call it a youth worker, um, at an organization called the Hetrick Martin Institute, which used to be called the Institute for the Protection of Lesbian and Gay Youth. It's basically one of the largest LGBTQ youth organizations. Um, they have tons of different services, including an uh, alternative high school there called the Harvey Milk School. So I started working there in the drop-in program. And since, and that was, oh, I don't want to give that away, but that was a long time ago. <laughs> as old as you want to be on podcasts. <laughs> that was in 1991. Sorry, that was in 1991. So... When I was there, I just developed a lot of interest of why young people decide to either pursue or not pursue post-secondary education. I wrote my dissertation on the experiences of gay and gender non-conforming black male students in an urban high school. I did an ethnography um, there. And one of the projects I did when I first got hired here at University of Toronto at that I consider this work to be a part of is on the educational trajectories of Black queer youth. How did this project come about? That's That was the next part. So um, a lot of my work has focused on the experiences of MSM or young Black men who identify as gay or bisexual, MSM meaning? men who have sex with men, um, or Yes, or don't identify as gay or bisexual either way or queer, but just have sex have uh, with other young men. And I've partnered a lot with the Black Coalition for AIDS Prevention in that work and um, also some um, done some work with supporting our youth and the, the BQY group there. And... Tanitia um, was in one of my classes. Uh, I teach a class um, in the Adult Ed and Community Development Program called Young Adulthood in Crisis, Learning, Transitions, and Activism. And 
Um, Tanitia was a strong participant in that class, and um, I really enjoyed her presence. We had a number of really amazing um, young Black women in that class. And she came to me one day in office hours, and she said, you know, you all do all this work with young men. Like, why aren't you doing any work with women and trans folks? Like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing that? And so <laughs> it was a bit stronger than that, but yeah, <laughs> he captured it. Stop making us invisible, Lance. I was like, stop making us invisible. I was like, okay, yeah, I couldn't dispute that. And um, so I was also at the time um, on the advisory board for the Black Youth Action Plan, and they had a small grant program with this post-secondary educators connectors um, program. And I was like, okay, well, let's do something that focuses on the experiences of queer and trans young Black women. Nice. And Tanitia can, um, you know, sort of be one of the lead researchers on it with me, and let's do this. And I'll learn a lot in the process. And so that's how it came about. Nice. One of the things that really struck me about this project was that it, it's not just an academic project. You very quickly moved into the community. You talk about your work with Black Cap or Black Coalition for Aid Intervention. Um, and and Carlene uh, works at uh, an organization here in the city of Toronto called The 519, which is... Uh, not quite as well known as the Harvey Milk School, but very well known around uh, around Canada. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about uh, who you are, what your role, and, and the role of community in this research project. Hi, everyone. My name is Carlene Williams-Clark, and I'm manager of direct services at The 519. And The 519 is a City of Toronto agency where we support um, our trans and queer um, community members. We offer services and different kinds of programs. We actually have um, the largest queer and trans newcomer program um, possibly in Canada. <laughs> um, and, and so for us to partner on this project, we felt it important because three quarter of our newcomer queer and trans folks are people that are racialized. And um, a lot of them um, do find face barriers in finding themselves, you know, with continued education or higher education and, um, you know, tend to be very much more interested in getting settled and they face a lot of barriers when they try to access um you know um education you know some people have different thoughts of them coming and being illiterate while well, we do have some who are very professional and some who have started university or completed at some level or hope to go there and you know make something better of themselves and while they're being their authentic queer and trans selves so we wanted to um you know to partner on this to see you know how can we help? How you know when we hear from people exactly what are their barriers, what are their challenges? Then that will help us as or an, a, a community organization to move towards providing you know the kind of support that these folks will need. And for us, that's important to support our our, our folks in a very holistic manner. Nice. Thank you very much, Carlene. Um, and Elise, the, the same 30-second introduction about yourself, and then uh, what was your role and, and why this project interested you? Um, so my name is Elise. I'm a Black trans uh, Muslim woman. Uh, this interested me because at the end of the day, it's the lack of representation within the Black trans community, specifically me identifying as a female. Um, also, I guess, 
just having a voice for other people to hear. Um, yeah, basically that's why I guess. You can- so you do a lot of uh, you do youth yes, I'm work youth now. Yes, yes. Do youth outreach yes. and. In the in this in the context of this conversation about education, what are you seeing with the black queer youth that you work with? Um, th- there's a lack of people don't really understand exactly how to deal with black queer trans youth at all at the end of the day because like, there's no one really in this industry itself that they can actually relate to. Um, and so the fact that like when I got hired, it was really interesting. It's like, like people were very surprised. The kids, the way that they deal with me, even it's actually really interesting, right? Um, and also a lot of the coworkers even understand that, right? But it's also the fact that most of the people that I work with don't it's they don't understand the situation itself so i mean i mean a lot of things are just read on books but the experience itself is not lived so at the end of the day when you deal with youth they they want they want to appreciate the experience that someone lived instead so yes absolutely Uh, and canary you uh you're also one of the the participant researchers interviewees subject researchers (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, so what was your role in the project and why did it interest you well, uh, T actually reached out to me and she asked if I could be part of it. And I was very, very interested as well, at least like you said. Um, I feel like there's a, a, a lack of representation of, of black queer people. Um, so I'd like to just come on and share my experience and hope that other people can relate, right? And give black queer youth hope, right? Make them feel hopeful for what's to come. Because I feel like I want to be that person uh or like the youth are who I needed when I was younger. Nice. Definitely. So Elise does, does youth work now and you are, what are you doing right now? Well, I'm in school. I go to Humber College for social service work. Um, do a lot of internships, but I don't uh, necessarily work in the community yet. Right. And that's one of your ambitions. Can yeah, I say yes. one thing? I think that the lack of representation is a big issue because a lot of the Media attention focuses on young men's experiences. And a lot of times the statistics show that the educational attainment levels of black women are higher than black men. And so therefore, a lot of people just assume there are no issues with education with young black women. So I think this is that's one of the things that I even wanted to challenge myself and saying like, well, Lance, if you're pro-feminist and if you're not trying to contribute to any sort of gender divide, like how does that, how is that reflected in your research? And I th- I'm glad that Tanitia really like, you know, <laughs> pushed me to, to walk my talk. And also yeah. we were trying to get away from this sort of binary between cisgender and transgender young black women, which is another thing that I've encountered at Black Coalition for AIDS Prevention. Not that they are promoting that at all, but whenever we do a focus group, there's always this question of like, well, is it going to include just cis black women or is it trans black women too? Or what do we think? And so we really tried to do something different on this project and try to sort of break down that binary Mm -hmm. and be more inclusive, not saying that sort of the issues are the same, right? Yeah. But at least try to put them in conversation with one another Mm -hmm. or begin that conversation. So I just wanted to put that out there that it's not, it's really not a real equitable and equity approach to just 
end the conversation by saying, well, young Black women don't have as many issues with education, and so that's it. We should focus on the, quote unquote, troubles of Black boys. Indeed. And so the woman who brought us all here today, (laughs) the woman who made this possible, the woman who's forcing these conversations to happen, uh, Tanitia, could you introduce yourself and and talk a little bit about what you found in the research, and then we'll go into more in-depth. Yes, for sure. Um, I'm Tanitia. Um, I'm a graduate student here at OASI um, in the social justice um, education department. I hope to be with Lance soon for my PhD. But uh, <laughs> yes, um, so as I said, I approached him because I found as a black queer immigrant woman myself, um, my story and a lot of stories for um, queer women, queer and trans women were um, silenced and invisible. And yeah, I did kind of just like, hey, Lance, like what's going on here? You know, you're just writing all about these men. What about us? Right. We have, we have stories to, we have experiences to, right? So I think um, uh, this project, um, this research story, um, it led to an amazing thing. I, I've met so many amazing uh, people and just like hearing their stories, right? Um, really opened my eyes and, and like the realities of um, not only uh, queer um, immigrant, queer woman uh, immigrant, but the queer uh, trans uh, black woman as well, right? So I just needed that to be out there and like people needed to pay attention. And I always, I am a community person and um, Carlene <laughs> and most of the people at the 519 I do know. So I, I like to lean on my community and say, hey, what do you think about this? And they do um, do immense work at the 519, um, especially with newcomer immigrants. Um, so I have to give props to the 519. And, you know, they highlight a lot as well. Um, for uh, key findings, um, again, for when we were doing... Maybe, actually, maybe we could actually... Um, let, let, let's hold off the key findings. Okay. And we'll get, we'll get to that get as we back, move so forward. Yeah, no problem. Um, you know... Yeah. people listening yeah <laughs> um, I, I want to start we've been we've been throwing around the term black queer trans women um, and and a lot of these terms may or may not be known by by people who are listening uh, a lot of the regular listeners will be familiar with this language but some people might not be familiar with this language um, and so I'm wondering if we could sort of break down those different terms. What do we what do we mean? And and maybe I'd even start with what do we mean by black, and then what do we mean by queer? Maybe the difference between uh, queer and trans and and sexual identity and uh, gender identity. Any of you want to tackle this? Yeah, Canari. Well, um, I actually I don't really like labels, but if someone is to ask me what my sexuality is and and how I would identify as within the community. Um, I usually say I am a black, uh, cisgendered lesbian. Um, sometimes I also say queer because I find that like when I say lesbian, people are slightly afraid. They're like, oh, <laughs> you know, like it's like I'm swearing at them. So <laughs> I, you know, I try to tone it down a little. Um, I sh- probably shouldn't, right? Because that's that's at the end of the day, that's what I identify as. I am a lesbian. I'm a woman who dates other women. Um, so. Uh, yeah, a black, cisgendered, a lesbian woman, queer woman as well. 
And could someone uh, help explain the difference between when we talk about sexual identity versus gender identity and sort of the sometimes people, you know, get all sort of lumped into this this alphabet, right? LGBTQI2SA. Well, I, I missed some correlation. Yeah, 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 all the way down, all the way down. Um, and so sometimes it gets kind of confusing. What do, we, what do we mean by sex and what do we mean by gender? Okay, well, I guess it was confusing for me too at first at the end of the day, right? Because I mean, like when I came to the realization that I'm transgender and then me being like, I'm a cis, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm a straight transgender woman, right? And so at the same time, is that whole idea itself made me laugh at first, right? Because right? I'm like, okay, that's like that's something interesting to deal with now. Uh, but I guess it's me, and it's like I guess my mind and my body aligning with one another, right? And so understanding that it didn't, um, coming to that uh, conclusion, and then uh, realizing that there's things that need to be done that I need to fix, right? So that's what it came to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to say something? Uh, um, I was also. I'd like to add that um, when you think about sex, it's um, it's actually what you perceive yourself to be, um, opposed to the gender that you you know that you belong to, and you know, um, and people trying to dictate to you to say and you know to follow society norms, and that you have to be one or the other. It can't. There's no other like gray areas around that. So therefore, um, for me, you know, your sexuality and your your your, your gender um, is very fluid. It's very open, and people are should be free to identify. And that you know, um, there's not a lot of whole lot of difference between both of them, anyways, because it's just about people being people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Indeed. One of the things that um, that came up in your study was some of the unique challenges of people um, uh, gender transitioning or sex transitioning, particularly in high school and a lack of supports. And just to help us understand that, maybe at least you could talk a little bit about what that means when people talk about transitioning. Well, I didn't transition to high school, so I transitioned after high school. So, mm-hmm. But I could only imagine how difficult it would be to transition. High school is mean as it is already. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, can, I ask, can I ask you, is that part of the reason why you didn't transition in high school? Well, to be honest and truthful, I kind of suppressed it, to be truthful. At the end of the day, like, I kind of understood that I was, when I was 14 years old, I knew that I was transgender. And then, years later, it kind of just hit me in the face, right? And to my own surprise, actually, Mm. understanding that I was like, oh my god, like, I'm like transgender, right? And that's how deep I buried it itself, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But my high school experience was really good, right? But, I mean, focusing on that, I can only imagine would be so difficult. So, like, I kind of chose to not do that, right? So, and there's so much other things, like, I mean, so... Yeah, my, so I could only imagine how that would be for someone that is in high school now. Absolutely. And can can you picture it for um, a newcomer who is also, you know, that is like triple, you know, that triple times, you know, the difficulty just trying to um, find themselves as someone who looks different has an accent, you know, um, and trying to, you know, you know, getting bullied around that and then having to deal with um, being able to be themselves coming from a space where they were not allowed to be themselves and then coming here and trying to be themselves and then being hit with the reality of maybe, you know, they're, you know, they're a trans person and then having to deal with that within school. That's, you know, like really such a difficult thing to deal with. It's, it's really hard. It's, you know, putting them in a tailspin. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I just wanted to um, say really clearly when we're talking about transitioning, generally what we're talking about is a person um, taking on or 
evolving into a different gender identity than the one that they were assigned at birth. And that doesn't mean any one thing in particular um, about what a person does or how they name themselves or what they do in terms of surgery or how they dress, et cetera, right? There's a just a range. Because I, I think sometimes people think transitioning auto, automatically means you're getting a sex change operation. That's not generally what we think of when we talk about sort of transitioning or transitioning means that, you know, you do something different with your hair or transitioning. Like, I think this is one of the confusions sometimes in schools that where, um, and even in the context of our families where we're transitioning, we're like coming to identify our gender differently. And sometimes our family members or teachers or our peers, they don't want to accept that maybe because you haven't done something really specific. Right. So, you know, if it's it's like if you're coming to identify as male and you were sort of if you were assigned um, uh, female at birth and then maybe your parents say, well, you still are a girl to me and, you know, you don't dress like necessarily like a boy. So how can you identify as male? And teachers say that, too. Sometimes they're like, well, you don't look so-and-so, so how are you identifying that way? Sometimes people even say, well, this is an issue even students here have dealt with, where, where the professor's like, I refuse to use that pronoun with you because I just don't see you that way. And so this is like a huge problem. So when we speak of transitioning, you shouldn't necessarily think of it as something that a person right. like has to look right. a certain yeah. way yeah. or that they're yeah. going to dress a certain way. Yeah, totally. Though I must say, um, though, Lance, that for, and I, I like to speak because, you know, I work, you know, mainly with newcomers. Um, I, and I mean, this is something that's very close to me because um, I have a very dear friend who wants to go to college and um, they got here, went through the refugee process and um, they have, you know, done their transition and they're, you know, doing their everything they did, surgeon, all those things. And, and but they're looking to change that um, gender marker on their permanent residence card because yeah. You know, they look what they look like now is not what's matching on that card. And um, they've been here for three years and have been wanting to go to school and had to wait to go through that process, the refugee process, come, become a convention refugee and then wait to become a permanent resident and then wait to have that gender market change. And they still want to go to school. So that within itself, too, is, you know, trying to match the gender on your card, on your identification to the gender that you look like is that's also a big issue that people need to look at as well. So for some people, it's matching. It's really, you know. Um, we, sorry. <laughs> um, I, we found that that was one of the barriers or yeah, issues that uh, came up into the research. Um, they also spoke about that um, when we did the, uh, the focus groups, mm -hmm. that that was an explicit barrier trying to get into post-secondary, trying mm -hmm. to further their education, but not being able to change the piece of paper, right? So, um, yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. Because you realize that people have to transition with you, yeah. which is the most annoying part of the whole entire situation at mm -hmm. the end of the day, I realize. So, like, I mean, and I get it. it. It's kind of like they're losing a person. Like, so, I mean, if, if 
to, to a certain extent, I understand that whole concept, but like they, the, the process itself, I realized when I did decide to transition, I realized, oh my God, everybody else is coming too. Like, so that's kind of like <laughs> what it really was, right? And so I do respect that, but it's kind of slightly annoying, so. We're going to wrap up this month's episode here and then continue this conversation again next month. The whole discussion took about an hour, and so rather than posting the full hour this month, we're going to spread it out. To let you know, you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or from our website at www.cycpodcast.org. You can also find us on Facebook. Just search for CYC Podcast. And you can listen to our back catalog on the website of almost 150 different episodes covering a wide, wide, wide range of topics. Finally, we're looking for a new editor for the podcast. So if you know some basics of audio editing and would like to help us out edit the podcast, please email me at wolfgang.vachon at humber.ca. wolfgang.vachon at humber.ca. Have a great month.